0: Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your
1: book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay, And a huge thank you, as always, to our patrons and academics in The Bestseller Academy, who... Thanks to their generosity and huge hearts, uh, keep this podcast going. And we have a new patron this week. Uh, Everyone, budge up at the back, please, and make room for Mr. Richard Beasley. Richard, thank you for your support. Richard now has access to loads of deep dives and extra material, all sorts of exclusive fun stuff that that makes it worth being a patron. So uh, thank you, Richard, and thank you
0: to all of them brilliant stuff. And if you want to join Richard, then please pop on to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support to become a patron of this podcast. And if you are interested in coming and joining Mark and I on a very, very exciting webinar on the 8th of December, the Bestseller Academy are holding a webinar where you can come and meet us both. We want to have a chat you can ask us questions and we'll tell you more about the Bestseller Academy and how it could help you make 2022 your very best writing year yet so do come along and join us just pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and register for the webinar now i will say folks there are only 100 spaces we have a limited limited amount of space so if you want to be part of that you do have to register and you have to register quick because i think there's only about 40 spots left as we record this which is quite a long time before it actually comes out so That being said, Mr. Stay, it's been quite a year, isn't it? 2021, we're getting towards the end. Firstly, I can't believe how quickly it's gone. I know I say that every year, but they do say life tends to speed up as you get older. It's late, isn't it? Yeah,
1: the great accelerator of life. Whoosh, what was that? Oh, Christmas again.
0: I have a theory. I have a theory around that. I think it's because when we're kids and we have those long summer holidays that seem to go on forever, we have a lot of time to watch the clock. And yet, when we get to our age, there's so much stuff going on. There's people to look after, there's books to write, there's dinners to cook. And you just don't have time to sit and look at the clock, which is why it seems to go a lot quicker. But there is some science out there,
1: apparently, that, that talks about this. I must delve it's into it. It's called relativity. More. It's relativity. Yeah, and it's absolutely true. It, time is relative. And if you've met any of my relatives, you'll know that time stretches longer when they're around. I'm sorry about that. Ah, oh, it's just a joke with Christmas coming up, yes.
0: I guess. I was listening. I was listening actually. You know, funny enough, yesterday I was listening back to one of our Christmas specials with Sir Ian Rankin, as I like to call him. And it was it was it was brilliant. We were talking about If you haven't heard it, if you want to get festive, we do have a Christmas special coming up. It was hilarious because we both got into a conversation about uh, Cards Against Humanity. And I literally, I was listening to it again yesterday. I haven't laughed so much. I mean, so just to give you a little preview, folks, we're going to do a Christmas special um, coming up in a few weeks, obviously with Christmas around the corner. And we're going to be talking about some of our favourite books that we got for Christmas and some of our favourite Christmas books. So we want you to join in the conversation. So um, if you want to get in the festive spirit, if you're, you know, warming up for Christmas, pop along to our Facebook and Twitter pages and tell us what your favourite Christmas book or book that you got for Christmas was. Um, and if you want, as a little bonus, because Mark and I like to have fun around this, tell us what your favourite kid's toy was as well. Yes. And we'll have a bit of a nostalgic reminisce. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Can't yeah, wait. Absolutely. <laughs> now, before before we dive into all of the uh, the the um, well, this incredible interview we've got today. Anyone who missed last week's show or didn't stick with us to the end, will have missed a little <laughs> thing that you just happened to slip in. And as we're documenting the process of going towards your big movie release, Mark in uh, in uh, the new year. Um. Remind everyone who missed it, what, what's
1: the date that the movie's coming out now? It's been announced, and you can then tell everyone, can't you? Well, it's easy to remember um, because it's St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. Um, well, that technically, it's at, if you look on IMDb, it says March 18th, but March 17th is when if there's a premiere or whatever, previews or what have you, that, that's going to be the day. So we're going to be rolling out the green carpet. And, <laughs> Love uh, it. Yeah, more, more details to follow, but it's great. And that's going to be UK and USA. Rest of the world, still not sure um so hang in there but um exciting. yeah so uh looking forward to that it's um it's, it's 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 gonna be fun it's gonna be fun well i
0: hope i hope everyone's as excited as I am, mark because uh i think there's only other one premiere of a movie that had a green part a green carpet and i think that was shrek so right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i'm really really i'm really I can't wait to see it and um it's super exciting i mean i do think it's incredible through covid that this is all happening um it's and a little bit unreal, yeah, to be honest. It is it's a bit still, surreal, isn't it? How yeah, are you? Okay, let's yeah. just check in because I know you, I know you don't really want to talk about this, but how are you? F- how are you feeling? How are you feeling right now? A few months before, is it nerve wracking? Is it
1: exciting? Is it still completely surreal? It's it's still a bit surreal because it's so over there on the horizon. You know, it's it's um, but if it. Warner Brothers, certainly in the UK, are giving it a really good release. Uh, which Robot Overlords did not get. So John and I have been saying things like, Oh, bloody hell, people are actually gonna see this one. <laughs> so, so there's a there's a slightly um, you know, scary thing there. But you know, it's all it's all part of the fun you know, getting people's be, reactions right? to it. You know, not you know, you I, I just can't wait to hear what people think of it. And there are if you're a podcast listener and you know all the tropes of the podcast and all the little catchphrases and the things that we talk about, there's quite a bit in there for you. So, uh, you know, I think... Really? I, you know, Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. There's, this, there's, a, there's a couple of little references in there that if you listen to the podcast, you'll go, oh. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Little, little no Easter about. eggs. Well, yeah, yeah. it's very similar to what
0: we did in Bacteriality as well. There's a a lot of references. If you haven't read Back to Reality, actually, um, we should, we should, well, before we forget, we should mention that we are doing a pledge for the hardback book. If you would like to get um, one of the hardback books, what we're doing is we're taking pledges up front, a bit like a Kickstarter. And once we hit 100, we're going to actually print the hardback. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we will put your name in the back of the book. Yeah. And we'll also add in, we're going to add in a a little bonus for readers at the back,
1: which will be the, um, the kind of miss it or the,
0: what is it? The original first chapter? It's or the, the, chapter it's the original cut? opening.
1: Uh, so it's like the, the, the prologue in the first chapter, which has also has all our little notes of, uh, like a director's commentary a director's from you commentary, and me yeah. saying, we changed this, we changed that. We had an argument over that. We <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Sort of stuff. So, do you, yeah, yeah. Do
0: you know what I think is interesting as well? I mean, don't think of this, if you've already got the book I and mean, if you've read it, well, thank you so much for buying and, and you know, getting it to number one like it went when we, when we first put it out. But think of this as the textbook for the bestseller experiment <laughs> podcast. It's like, it's the study notes, isn't it, in some ways. And it shows you the kind of, you know... What went through our heads? Why we cut the first section? But you know, you can read read the first section and see why it didn't make it, but also see what was going on in our minds. That you know, well, and it was really much a kind of a warm up into the book. So, it's I, a it's a little insight into the creative process. Absolutely. So think of it as a think of it as your bestseller experiment workbook, um, and and you can read it alongside the paperback if you've got that as well. So, um, if you'd like to pledge for the hardback, you simply go along to. Uh, uh, no it's bestseller forward slash back to reality and if Making you can't wait props. if you can't wait for the, the the hardback and you haven't read it um well you can buy the paperback now and you can also buy the
1: audiobook and on that note mr stay we have hey, an announcement so don't we don't we? <laughs> <laughs> we do yes we we we've, we've uh, we did a little giveaway um, to get uh copies of our audiobook if you sign up to our newsletter and thank you to everyone who signed up and everyone who has entered and uh, we have the name. Should we announce them at the end?: Yeah, let's keep them on the hook. Yeah, that's what they teach
0: us in writing.
1: (laughs) So if you want to find out if you've won,
0: (laughs) if you want to, yeah, exactly. If you want to, we've been doing this too long there, Mark, haven't we? Um, If you want to find out if you've won, stick with us until the end of the episode. Excellent stuff. Now, Mr. Stay, we have a wonderful guest. What
1: a story this is. Unbelievable. Tell us about the lovely Lisa Hall. Such a delight to speak to Lisa. Lisa Hall is the best-selling author of Tell Me No Lies, The Party, Have You Seen Her?*, And her debut novel, Between You and Me, was awarded the Nielsen Award for selling over a quarter of a million copies. Her new novel... The Woman in the Woods is a gothic thriller about a new mum who's moved into the house from hell and is set against the fascinating legends of Pluckley Village in Kent, which is about an hour away from me and is the most haunted village in England. Fact fans. And this so this is a supernatural chiller. It's a bit different from my usual stuff. It's dark, disturbing, disturbing and absolutely fascinating so we discuss how blogging led to writing novels how rejection can be like a dagger to the heart and why she wanted to burn one of her books (laughs) brilliant
0: stuff so let's listen in folks get yourself a nice cup of tea or coffee a glass of water or something stronger and have a listen to mark chatting with the lovely lisa hall
1: lisa hall welcome to the bestseller experiment how are you today
2: i'm good thank you for having me
1: it's our absolute pleasure and folks this is an audio interview because we do have a youtube channel as well if you t- tune into our youtube channel you'll see behind lisa we love stuff like this we love seeing inside writers rooms and you'll see there are post-it notes and postcards on a board behind you and a whiteboard is that is that your current work in progress is that is that uh the next epic coming into into shape behind you
2: yeah well yeah yeah that's what i'm working on at the moment um hopefully it's whipping it into shape but you know how it is like you can never guarantee that what's on the board ends up on the page so <laughs>
1: that's very true very very true well, look, let's talk about what is on the page wow the woman in the woods fantastic gothic thriller and this is i think i'm, I'm all right in thinking this is the first time that one of your stories has had a supernatural element to it
2: yeah, that's right. I've never, I've never done it before. And I was actually quite scared, not of the ghosts, but <laughs> I was scared of writing something that was com- not completely different, but very, very different to what I'd done before. But it's been received quite well. So hopefully people are enjoying it.
1: Lovely. Tell us the premise. What's, what's it all about?
2: Um, well, it's, um, it's the story of Ali and Rav. Um they move to uh, their what's supposed to be their dream home in uh, a village in Kent called Pluckley, which is a real place, mm. um, and it's 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 got a history as being known as the most one of the most haunted villages in England. So there's that, but it's their dream home, and they've they've got a, a young family, they've got a new baby, and it's not long before Ali starts to find that things aren't quite right in the house, um, but she's not sure. If someone's messing with her mind or if there is something a little bit more sinister going on and when she finds out that there is a legend attached to their house, that their house was once known as the witch house, um, Hmm. then things really do ramp up and she really has a bit of a bad time.
1: (laughs) The witch house, it's not the sort of thing they put on right move, is it?
2: No, no, no one <laughs> mentioned that to and when they were looking on right move. This
1: state educated is the worst. What I love about the opening as well is you really capture that delirium of waking up at four in the morning with a new baby. Screaming its head off and um, the fact that you don't know up from down or left from right is, was, it, was that was that particularly easy to write or was it quite difficult?
2: Very easy. Three times I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and each kids seem to get worse. No, they're good kids. Um yeah, I think every every mum and dad can relate to some extent to that whole when you bring this tiny creature home, and <laughs> I don't know about other people, but I kind of only thought as far as sort of like Going into labor, I never thought about what I'd have to do when I had to bring the baby home. Um, So I think everyone kind of has some experience, everyone who has a child has some experience of that um, confusion and delirium and the, the whole sense that your life has been turned upside down.
1: It's the, it's the lovely little resentments as well. It's like Rav comes in, finds her on the kitchen floor and doesn't even offer to make her a cup of tea. It's all very relatable, I think.
2: I'm not saying whether that's real life
1: or not. <laughs> uh, as you say, it's set in a real place, Pluckley, which is the most haunted village in England. Um, did you have to invent or change much? I remember we had Julie Wassmer on the podcast uh, a while back and she writes about Whitstable brilliantly in her books, but she's had to, I think she changed the name of a church, she's changed the names of a couple of shops because, you know, obviously real proprietors don't want murders happening on their doorstep necessarily. What did you What did you bring to Pluckley and is—is is, did you have to invent or change anything?
2: Um, I changed a few things. I kept the pub because the pub is quite a focal point in the village and in the book. Um, and the landlady there is actually really nice. And she didn't mind that I put her in a book. And she told me lots of stories about what really goes on in that pub. Um, lots of ghost stories. Uh, but I did I did change a couple of things, but it was more for my convenience that I gave them a co-op. They don't have a co-op, but in my book they <laughs> have a co-op. <laughs> Just because that was what worked for me. So so I changed a few things, but nothing really. I think really too drastic,
1: right? Right. Um, as we said, there is a supernatural element to this. What were the big challenges there? Seeing as it's the first time you've 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 had to sort of bring that into one of your stories.
2: Um, I think the challenge was keeping it keeping it believable, um, but still including that supernatural element. So it was quite difficult. I didn't want it to to be like some real sort of shock horror. Terrible horror story, you know, like one of these B movie type things. I I wanted it to still be more psychological rather than you know slasher. Um, so it was it was kind of researching other people's experience with the supernatural and trying to bring that into it to keep it so it's still sort of relatable and believable
1: excellent stuff i read someone that your writing always starts with a a what if question and goes from there was that the case with with the the woman in the woods as well
2: oh yeah absolutely um at the time my son i mean he's a, he's a teenager he was he was working at mcdonald's and the idea came to me because because I I was nipping out to pick him up. He finished his shift at like nine in the evening, and it was this this time of year, so it was dark outside. And I've got two other children, but they're also they're not they're not little babies or anything. Um, and I had left them at home while I went to pick him up, and I didn't lock the front door. And I thought, what if I get back? and something has happened to the children, because that's how my mind works. Apparently, not everybody's mind works that way.
1: (laughs) Mine does too, don't worry. You're
2: not alone. And then it kind of stemmed from that, and it was like, what if this woman knew that something bad was going to happen? She knew that her children were in danger, but she didn't know how or why. And then it was a case of taking that question and going back and looking at how I was going to make the story work.
1: Okay. What's your... Let's talk about your, your method. Are you a big outliner or, or are you pantsing it as you go along? Uh, <laughs> very true. Yes. Uh, for audio listeners, Lisa has just gestured, as I should have realized, uh, to the uh, the board behind her with all the cards outlining the story. So that, that that's what works for you.
2: I'm a severe plotter, a severe plotter. I like uh, I, I, I start with bullet points of, of scenes I know need to happen in the book. Um, so that gives me a rough beginning, middle and end then I work on my post-it and every post-it has what's going to happen in that chapter but briefly so then the brief post-its then get transferred into the notebook
1: nice lovely handwritten notebook
2: a better chapter plan, um, And then then I finally sit down to write the chapter. So I don't know if it's that I really need to plot and I really need to know exactly what's going to happen when I sit down or if I'm just really good at procrastinating and dragging things out.
1: Sure. <laughs> I love it. Now, let's talk about how it all started for you because, you, as I understand it, your debut novel, Between You and Me, was the first thing you'd written since school, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
1: Okay, but... Uh, up to that point you had been a book blogger of you know a voracious reader reading and reviewing books did that inspire you to write did that inform your writing
2: um i don't know that it inspired me um because i all i always knew that i wanted to do it but i think it gave me the confidence to actually write because it's very difficult i think when when you start writing or if you haven't written for a long time I think it's really difficult to have the courage to show your work to other people
1: mm.
2: and it almost feels like the blogging was a stepping stone because once I started blogging obviously people written I'm not saying thousands of people read my reviews but other people that weren't my mum or my husband read <laughs> my <laughs> reviews and then that gave me the confidence and at the same time I started an open university course and. Um, that helped as well with the confidence you know writing things that you then have to show to other people and get feedback um so yeah I would say I would say it was it it was definitely a stepping stone it was definitely something that gave me the courage to to actually start writing properly
1: was the OU course um the creative writing course
2: I I did a, uh, the English literature and creative writing degree um which was such hard work, especially once I did get published. I shouldn't complain at all because I wouldn't have ever <laughs> written a book if I hadn't done that. If I hadn't started that course, it was such hard work, but it was it was very very helpful, and that definitely helped develop my writing. Definitely.
1: Did you have to complete a novel as part of the course? How how did that work?
2: Uh, well, uh, for my final for my final piece. I we we obviously didn't have to do we didn't have to do a whole novel but we had to to hand in a a, I think it was a 5,000 word piece and you could use the opening of a novel which I did do but I, I only I only finished this summer I graduated this summer so the piece that I handed in I did get a very good mark for it and that's in the pipeline my agent's seen it I have written the rest of the book my agent's seen it and she (laughs) likes it so hopefully that will that will something will happen with that that later on
1: (laughs) okay so you you were published before you finished your OU oh wow oh that's brilliant okay well tell us about tell us about between you and me then your debut how that how that came about and what what inspired you to to start work on that
2: um well (sighs) I had I had this I had this what if question, mm-hmm. which I kind of I can't really tell you the what if question. This is a I haven't they? read it.
0: Yeah.
2: It's a stonking spoiler. So, <laughs> and I kept saying, what if, what if you thought this? What if this happened? And in the end, he was like, I really think you just need to sit down and write it. So we went, we we were away, we were in the US in in LA in a in a bar that served these giant Gigantic margaritas (laughs) with shots of Jack Daniels in, and I basically (laughs) hashed out the whole plot with him. And he was like, "Go away and write it now." So then, once I wasn't drunk anymore, (laughs) I kind of realised, "Oh, I I was going to do that." So I did. I wrote it, and I wrote it. I was working full time, and I was I was doing my OU course. Um, So I'd get up at five in the morning and write for an hour before the kids got up, and I just squeezed it in wherever I could. Um, and then I was really fortunate. I was really fortunate. I was reading, um, I was reading the book on my Kindle. And at the very end of the book, it was a, a HQ book or before HQ became HQ, Karina. Um, and at the very end of the book, it said, we have open submissions. We want to see your work. Submit to us. So I did. And I didn't think anything would happen. I did. I did submit to a few other places as well. Um, and I did submit to a few agents and I got some quite brutal rejections. Um, and then, um, the lady who would become my first editor, she, she emailed me and she said, I'd like to see the rest of the book. So I sent it to her. And then about a week later, she rang me and she was like, we really, we really like the book and we'd like to offer you a two book deal. So I really did get drunk that night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. There's so much to unpack there. So you were... You know, you've got a family. You're doing an OU course. You're working full time, but you remember you remember the five AM writers' club. We see that hashtag yeah. quite a bit on Twitter. So, how long were you writing for? and what sort of word count were you getting every day?
2: I was aiming for two thousand words a day. Wow! So, I think the planning helped because I knew when I sat down to write because the time was so precious when I sat down I knew exactly what I was going to write in that that I knew what that chapter was about I knew what had to happen so that did help but obviously you can't get 2,000 words done in the hour hour and a half before the kids get up so it was a case of a bit in the morning then maybe a little bit on my lunch break and then a bit in the evening so it took me I take took me about four months for for a first draft but it was seven days a week yeah hard slog yeah yeah yeah
1: what did what did you do with that first draft once it was once it was done?
2: Um I showed it to my husband and he said, I think you've got something here. Um, but you know what it's like when your mum reads it, or your, your husband or your wife, you kind of think, Oh, yeah, okay, you kind of have to say that. He doesn't anymore. He's like, No, that doesn't work. No, take that bit out. <laughs> um, and then I, I kind of left it for a couple of weeks and went back and polished it up and and then I, I I showed a friend and she said no I really I really do think you have got something here and I thought oh, okay that's two people so maybe I do and then I sent it to um to a friend who was a, who's a book blogger and she she read it and she said I think I think you might have something I thought "Right, well, okay okay I think I think I might and that's what I then sort of sent it out and spent hours over my query letter and all the rest of it. Right.
1: <laughs> Tell us, if you can, about those brutal rejections and how you dust yourself off after something like that. Cried a lot. Oh, <laughs> Cried
2: a lot. Um, but you kind of – I think I've got a bit of a thicker skin now, you know, but at the time it was like a dagger in my heart, honestly. Um and most of them were nice. Most of them were really nice. I'd spoken to, I'd been to Harrogate to the, to the crime festival that year and I'd spoken to an editor there and she said, well, send it to me when, when you're done. And she did reject me, but she gave me the loveliest rejection. She just said, look, because, because of the, I think because of the twist and because it's not, it wasn't sort of your average crime thriller book, it was more sort of domestic She didn't really know where to place it, but I did have a really awful one from this guy. Um, And he just wrote across my own query letter, I don't think so, and posted it back to me. What? Oh, my God. I really wish that when Between You and Me went to number one on Amazon, I really wish I it, posted it to him. But apparently that's petty to do things like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but incredibly satisfying. How rude. How mm. r- well, I mean, you can only take solace from the fact that you clearly dodged a bullet there. That's not someone you want to work with, is it? I mean, it's, No, uh,
2: absolutely yeah. not. I've got the most amazing agent now and I just I couldn't be without her. She's amazing. Wow. Wow. Crikey! Okay, so uh, tell us about that moment when,
1: uh, uh, when between you and me, you got that positive response uh, from HQ, and where where it went from there.
2: It was a bit. It felt a little bit like it wasn't really happening to me, <laughs> and I feel like that whole that was in the October that they said they 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 wanted to publish it, and then they announced it about a month later, and I hadn't told anyone. Obviously my husband knew but I hadn't told anyone right, else. Right. So all my friends and my family found out at the same time and my phone just blew up. <laughs> um and then it was it was quite a learning curve because I you don't realize do you when you when you write your first book before you get signed you just think wow I've written a book and they, no one actually tells you right, okay so you've written a book but you've only written the first draft so uh now the hard work's really going to start and that was quite a quite a learning curve to see the whole process of of, you know structural edits line edits copy edits you know discussions about the cover and things like that none of that it was a bit like you know like I said I thought as far as the labor but I hadn't thought about bringing the child home (laughs) and it was the same thing
1: (laughs) what were the what were the biggest surprises about the process was there anything you really hadn't expected to cope with
2: (sighs) I think the biggest surprise really was the response that I got to the book when it came out because I I didn't really expect it was so so successful. And so people were talking about it and I was getting emails sort of every day I was having emails from people. Um, And that was really weird, the thought that there's people, there's people on the other side of the world that are reading something that I wrote at five o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) and that that, i still can't quite get my head around that
1: and then and then let's um let's not you know let's not be coy about this you were you got a nielsen award and listeners nielsen are the people who collate book sales in uh in the uk and across the world you got a nielsen award for selling over a quarter of a million copies of between you and me that must i mean that doesn't happen to everyone i can tell you that that must have been a pinch me moment What, what was that like
2: it was amazing i just like i said it just felt like it felt like it wasn't happening to me it wasn't happening to me and we've got it, we've got it up on our kitchen wall so i can look at it every day and remind myself it did actually happen did actually happen
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after that so, I mean, you got Between You and Me, Tell Me No Lies, The Party, Have You Seen of the Perfect Couple. What was, that, what was that second book like? We talk about that second difficult album, that second difficult book. Was that having – what were the lessons you, you had learned with the first book that you took forward to the second book?
2: Well, it kind of it, – it happened really quickly because I'd written this first book and I wasn't really expecting to get published and then it did get published and then they were like, well, we need another book. And I was like, okay. And I kind of had a vague idea of what I wanted to do. And when I look back, I wish I had asked them for more time because I don't feel out of all my books, I don't feel that my second book is my strongest by any means. And I kind of wish if I had my time again, I would go back and say to them, you know, I do need a little bit more time. I need I need to 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 develop the characters a little bit more um, and just spend a little bit more time polishing it up because I don't feel that it was my best work. But I would say the third book was worse.
1: Really? Really?
2: (laughs) The third book, The Party, is not the original third book. Right. The third book is In a Drawer never to be seen again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I worked, I worked really hard on it and I really loved the the premise of it. And my agent loved it. And the editor said she loved it. Um, and we went backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards on, on structural edits. But it was backwards and forwards. Backwards. Right. No, this still wasn't right. This still wasn't right. And it was almost like none of us could kind of put our finger on what was not working in the book. Mm-hmm. So my editor then left, she said, um, I was going on holiday and she said, I'll send you your copy edits before you go. And I thought, thank God, copy edits, no more structure edits. And then she didn't. And I went on holiday and I got an email to say, oh, by the way, I'm leaving. And I was like, but what about my book? Um, so then I got a new editor who's my editor now and she's amazing. and And I met her. And we had a drink and she said, what do you want to do with this book? And I said, honestly, I just want to burn it because it's not working and I can't figure out why it's not working. And she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to write a book about a woman who wakes up after a party and she knows something's happened to her, but she's got no memory of the night before. And she was like, okay, write that book. So that's how the party came to be the third book. But in between, there's a really, really dodgy book that does really need to go on the bonfire. (laughs) <laughs> well,
1: yeah, listeners, we're recording this on the 5th of November, so perhaps uh, tonight's the night. Um brilliant. Oh, it's so interesting to hear that. Uh what's coming next uh for you? Oh, it's, obviously it's on the board behind you there and we don't want to don't want any spoilers, but uh what's what's coming up next for you after The Woman in the Woods?
2: Uh well, I'm working on something now about a woman who uh she grows up on a small on a small island just off the south coast of Ireland. And when she's 17, she does something pretty bad and she leaves. And now 15 years later, her mother has died. She gets called to say that her mother's dying and she has to go back. Um, and she's she's a writer and she's writing a true crime book about women and, and violence against women and how the public can play a part in sometimes resolving cases. Anyway, she goes back to the island And and a girl has disappeared from the island. She's gone missing and everyone kind of thinks she's a runaway. But our girl has has a suspicion that something's not quite right. So even though she's going to put a cat amongst the pigeons because of what she did before, she's going to try and get to the bottom of it.
1: Brilliant. Sounds fantastic. Well, until then, folks, you've got The Woman in the Woods, which is out now. So go grab your copy. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for speaking to us. Really enjoyed it and hope to speak to you again soon.
2: Thank you so much for
0: having me. Oh, what a great story that was. What a great story. But let's just start where we have. We have to start with the letter from the agent. I cannot
1: believe. What a knob, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what an unprofessional. Why? Uh, yeah, why? why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that to anyone? And they do say the best revenge is success. So Lisa's, you know, Lisa's well, got to put I that. Well, I think,
0: do you know, and you're right. And I think that that. That letter should be framed and put in <laughs> Lisa's writing room, um, and and to look at that every every day when she she you know reads her royalty statements and uh, and I, <laughs> I, I, I but I do think okay let, let's just talk about why that would happen. I mean, I often think I often think that if I'm driving out in the street and someone gives me the bird or the finger because they're having a bad day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two ways you respond. You either get very upset and, and outraged, or how dare you, or you think, blimey, what's going on in their life? And yeah. I do wonder that, you know, someone's obviously having a bad day, but at the end of the day, there's no there's no need for that because it's wasted energy on everyone, absolutely mm. wasted energy. If I've been through this a lot with music, and I think we all go through it with books books i think a bit different because you know people might start a book and give up after a first page or two if it's not their thing and then and then give it a one-star review which i don't think is fair either i think you know read the whole thing and then make a judgment on it yeah, but with yeah. music music's really interesting because it's like a three minutes three and a half minutes and, and people can make their opinion on it very quickly and i did go through that early days of my career in music it was it was brutal like you get tons of amazing reviews, and then you get that one absolute like stinger, <laughs> and you think, "Why did you waste your ink? Like, why didn't you put a review in the newspaper or the or the or the magazine of something you liked instead of writing about something you didn't like? Because it's completely wasted energy.
1: So yeah, um, it, it doesn't. People there are there is a certain level of people on review, you know, Good Reason Amazon and things like that, mm. who don't really know what review reviews aren't for us, let's be honest. They're not for the creators. They're for people coming along who want to know if this is worth reading. And if you give a review that's constructive, you say, well, uh, this is the author's intent. I don't think they succeeded. The book kind of falls short because of that. That's a fair review. Saying, oh, this is rubbish because of X, you know, for, in a completely unconstructive way, doesn't help anyone. It's just venting, yeah. And it's you know I we it would be nice if more people knew how to actually so you know leave a review and write a review. And um, when I get a review where someone has you know understood a theme or an idea that I was going after, that really means something to me. You know that mm-hmm. really means they've paid attention uh, and um, and given it some thought. Whereas something like I don't think so doesn't really do well, that it does, at that all. doesn't
0: doesn't help anyone i mean it doesn't even it doesn't explain why you know i think i think it's absolutely you know fine to say i it's not for me because yes. you know I, again within yes. it's very again it's easy within music to have this distinction like when when somebody i coach a lot of people who you know and, and and we need to talk about this in more detail we talk about this a lot actually on the academy this kind of criticism that people firstly fear and if they do you know, put their head above a parapet, are brave enough to get feedback on their work or even put mm. their work out on Amazon, which a lot of people don't because of the fear of, yeah. of the feedback. It's a huge thing. And I know a lot of people nodding their heads, mm. listening to this right now going, yep, yeah, that's me. Well, if it is you, it's really important to realize that there are ways to combat these kind of levels of criticism. And and I always put it down to bad day or bad taste, <laughs> that's the mm-hmm. way i always justify it. what i found with my with the music is i would always say if somebody doesn't like my music, you know if they didn't like electronic or chill out music, which is what i would write in, they probably like something like death metal and that's absolutely fine. i mean i death metal's not my thing, but everyone's allowed to have their own favorites. Yep. so it's it's more about it it's rather than it's it's rubbish, it's like it's not for me. It should always be it's not for me. And the idea of bad taste I love. This is like if somebody doesn't like your work, feel sorry for them that they don't have good taste in your your (laughs) genre. That way you push it all back onto them and it's all their loss and it's all their upbringing and it's got nothing to do with you. And that actually is a really powerful way to kind of just let this stuff wash over you, which we need to enable the market. You know about this. I mean, you've been through the ringer for many years with, with, you know, putting things out. Um, It's about creating tools
1: that let it wash, like, water off a duck's back, right? I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing, writers. Gather around. Come closer. Come closer. Here's here's the thing. We all write rubbish now and then. We all write something that's not good enough. Um, uh, But, you know, so you're not alone there. But we learn and we move on from it. But something like, I don't think so, doesn't help at all it it's it's it doesn't build it, it doesn't help you get back on and and learn and and do something new and more constructive it just makes me think Have you ever see that movie kelly's heroes uh one of my favorite war movies uh where donald sutherland's the kind of the hippie tank driver and he's just like what's with the negative waves moriarty is you know what is the negativity doesn't you know help anyone you know if if um so yeah it's it gives me the, you know, we were talking about the film earlier and uh, there are some reviewers. Like I love Empire Magazine. If Empire Magazine gives it a good review, that means something to me. If they give it a stinker, that will mean something to me. I mean, I'll stop my subscription. Um, <laughs> You've been warned. But, <laughs> but, you know, that there are certain reviewers that you think, oh, I hope, I hope they like it. Um, Kim Newman's another one, you know. So uh, it's some... Um, and if they don't, it sort of breaks your heart a little bit um, because, you know, there's there's a kind of connection there. But uh, I, I know that if they don't like it, they're not going to say, well, oh, I don't think so. They're going to make it constructive and pick out all my faults in some ways. Actually, that might even be worse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, exactly. Superbad, not, no. and, and, yeah, but, but the crazy you know, thing I, is, I can learn holiday- from
0: that. You can, but on that front, it's still one individual within a within one publication, yeah, yeah. and that's the that's actually the crazy lottery of all of this. You know, it, it you know you might get a review in the Guardian, or you might get you know a review in whatever it might be, but it's still a human being. And it, it if you happen to get the right person, then you could get five stars. If you get a person that doesn't connect with it, and this goes for anyone's book as well. You know, um, you know, in the New York Times, the person reviewing your book, if they love it. Because it's their thing. So it always comes down to an individual and their opinion. And we can still always say, well, it just wasn't for them. Um, Mm -hmm. You you know, it didn't it didn't didn't click with them for whatever reason. But it might on the other side of things might have been might have been incredibly um, welcomed by someone else. So it is an interesting thing. But I think anyone out there doing this, and I say this out loud, Mark, you know, you know, knowing obviously your movie's coming out, but anyone out there doing this deserves a medal just for, be, just for doing it because it requires courage and a thick skin. And the only way you get that thick skin is by, is by playing the guitar and building the calluses. And it hurts at mm. first. Yeah. And the irony is, is you have to keep playing the guitar to keep the calluses hard. Whereas if you don't, if you stop playing, then your fingers get all bloody yeah. again and That's it starts to very hurt good again. Anal- so, very right. good analogy.
1: Yeah. So yeah. it's, you yeah. know, anyone
0: who's ever played the guitar knows exactly what I mean. So, you know, have you got your calluses yet? But to all the readers out there and writers that are thinking about, you know, putting something out there, you have to go through it. There's a little bit of pain to begin with, but once you've got the calluses, you you move on. But what else does calluses give you? it makes you a better guitar player, right? You don't get those Mm. buzzy sounds anymore because you've got nice strong fingertips. It's interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Let's talk about um, another thing that Lisa mentioned, which was about this idea of knowing when a book needs to die. Now this one, when I heard that, I was thinking, wow. Yeah. That's an interesting
1: this, This this is, this is one of the things, you know, we've talked about that second difficult book, uh, I don't think we've ever done the third difficult book before. Uh yeah, does it get so. easier?
0: Is the third book easier than the second? It did Were they all I as mean, hard
1: as each other. I mean, I'm writing a series at the moment. Uh and I'm editing the third book at the moment, and I'm loving it. And a lot of the groundwork is done, you know, the world is built. I know I know the main characters really well. And I'm it's just fun playing with them and and, and whereas with Lisa, these are new Characters, new situations each time she's reinventing, inventing a world each time she, she starts one of these. And I think it's something we don't talk about enough as authors, because it's certainly for a lot of people listening to this, the dream is to get published, to get the first book out there and whoosh, you know, that's, that's, that's the dream. Uh, But then there's the next book and the next book and the next book. And then there will be books that don't work at all. And it's, it's unusual because the editor is there to help, is there to sort of chivvy things along and be, you know, your cheerleader. But, of course, she had a situation where the editor, her regular editor, left, which in some ways might have been a good thing because this new editor said, look, this is a clean break. Maybe Mm. we could, you know, do something completely new. And it takes a very brave person to write off, All of those hours of work. But as we said before, no writing is wasted. I'm sure Lisa, you know, would have learned a lot from the book that didn't work. You know, we learn as much from our failures as we do, probably more from our failures than we do do our successes. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's very
0: true. I think I do wonder how much of the challenges with the editor resulted in that book not wanting to be, you know, ever put out there. Because I think if if you have a bad experience around the book and it might not be just the writing it might be something like you know like somebody important leaving or never getting it to the point where it was it was kind of where everyone was saying yeah this is really now working Um, it's some I think that's probably more why Lisa might have left it because of what happened and I mean I don't know would you would you recommend because I know in the past I know in the past we talked to authors who said you know finish everything you know just get to the end because you just never know but You know, what point? When do you when do you allow you know an author to say, okay, this one, this is just this is just my
1: warm up for the. the If it's if it's making you unhappy, you know, there's a difference between something being difficult and challenging, and something that is making. If you sit down and you feel sick every time you sit down to write, right, anxiety And and stress around it, right? And I've had this, I had this when I was starting out as a screenwriter. Um. Uh, And it was a lovely producer. It wasn't the producer's fault. This is entirely my fault. But um, they had an idea for a movie. And it wasn't my usual genre. It wasn't my usual thing. But I was so young and desperate. I said, yeah, I'll write that. There's no money in it. Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to get, you know, I thought, and this was somebody who got stuff made. So I thought, yeah, 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 I'll do it. That's a great idea. I'll write it. And what followed was two years of abject misery. You know, I did a first draft, which I quite liked, but it wasn't what they wanted. Um. So you know, the conversations went back and forth. Can you make it more like this? And I said, No, I want to make it. I quite like this idea. No, it needs Mm. to be like this if I'm going Mm. to sell it. And so yeah, you're both pulling in different directions and um but still i was young thought i'd get a credit thought you know it could get made blah 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 so i hung in there but i it was one of these projects where every time i sat down to you know i did other things while this was going on yeah as is my want um but every time i sat down to do this it, it just made me feel oh here we go and i should have pulled the plug after about six months but i stuck with it for about two years and in the end i sat down Uh, with them and we had a full and frank conversation where i said yeah this isn't working um give it to another writer completely rethink it tear it up walk away whatever you want to do the idea because the producer came up with the idea the idea is still yours you run with it go with it i'm washing my hands of it thank you very much good night um film's never been made funnily enough Mm. although weirdly a completely different film with the same premise and title was made in hollywood um right <laughs> yeah but uh it's uh you know so having been through that experience once was a very difficult way of learning that uh if it's making you unhappy recognize that that line between challenging which is what every book is for me and every script is there's a challenge there's a new thing to try and overcome and that's great and i love that and being made miserable by it and if it's making you depressed and it's making you miserable and it's turning you off writing then you know what put it away start something else take a break start something else yeah i get i think that's really good advice mark because i
0: think and and also but it's it's hard it is that it's a very fine line i think between when something becomes challenging and it's like i mean climbing everest is challenging and the trouble is is when if you if you don't know how close you are to the breakthrough, you might turn around and trape back down Everest. I always use this analogy of Everest being covered in um, clouds, the tip of it, so you don't actually know exactly how much further you've got before you get to the top when it gets, starts to get easier in terms of the descent. And so, people have to be really have to really call this one. Um, I think as well. I think another good test is if you do take a break from something for you know a little bit of time. Mm. How enthused do you feel about coming back to it later? Yeah. That's yeah. a good test, right? Because I found with the best ideas I've had, they always tend to stick around, and they always keep calling my name and saying, "Oi, you're ignoring me! Come and come and work on me a bit." And and the ones that never go, I think, are the the ones that are meant to be, and they're probably the the, the main projects. There's something to be said as well for people like. I mean, I know this is probably bad advice, but I'll say it. anyway. You know, if you've got three, four different ideas for book, book ideas, which most of us do, in fact, you know, some many more, like write the first chapter of each one and see which one really draws you. Because mm. that way you've got a little bit of a play playoff between that good, ideas. That is good
1: advice, actually. Or at least yeah. start making
0: notes on them, see which one, you know, where which one starts flowing. Because the one that you're most passionate about, this is my sense... The one that you're most passionate about is the one you're most likely to write the best story about and the one you're most likely to get to the end at. I mean, I'm writing this... I'm writing a, a novel right now, which it has gone out the gates flying. I'm so excited about it. And I've hit a few brick walls this week with it. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, you know, I, I forgot this bit. But yep. <laughs> I'm still excited about it. I'm still sitting there every night with my board plotting and trying to work out what happens next. And... It's 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 still it's still got that momentum, and you know as long as the words keep flowing, you make you're getting closer to that to that. To losing losing
1: momentum to. can be a killer. It can, which is why we talk about the two hundred words a day thing. Even if you only write a wee a little bit yeah. every day, then it keeps that momentum going. I mean, I've um, I'm working on two projects at the moment. One is the book I'm editing, and one is this new script idea. And, um, you know, I had an hour long phone call with the director today and made some notes and it was just a page of notes, probably not even 150 words. But I did. I did my work on that project today by having that conversation, you know, and I'm ready to write those notes up into something more sensible tomorrow. Um, But, yeah, losing momentum is the killer. And the longer you leave it, and I recognize this myself, the longer you leave it, the more difficult that returning to it can be Uh, and i think part of the secret of keeping your joy in a project is to keep at it as often as you can and it it doesn't have to be you know writing 1600 2000 words a day 3000 words a day it can just be those 200 words you know a little spark of an idea just keep coming at it keep coming at it keep coming at it um but if you if you give yourself a week off and you come back to it and you've got to get that boulder rolling again it can be really 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 hard yeah Um, yeah one other thing i love that lisa said is she she
0: sent off her book whilst she was doing a course Mm. so she started to sow the seeds and was getting practice at you know pitching her book and getting rejected you know those types of things are super important And, and we know we know from all the people we're coaching in the academy that a lot of people are going through that process even in even in their first year in the academy they're they're reaching out for agents they're they're getting their feedback you know from fellow academates and the like and i think there's something to be said too many people just focus on i am writing my book and I'm, I'm i'm in this kind of silo and all i'm doing is writing my book which is great but the challenge is if you don't also start sowing seeds you have to wait a lot longer for the harvest and you also have to wait a lot longer to to start practicing, building up you know, the calluses that we talked about earlier. So I, I you know, and, and Lisa's great proof in in the fact that you know she didn't think, oh, I have to finish the course before I'm I can validate myself to actually start sending out a book. She started doing it during the process, and I think that was amazing, and it obviously resulted in
1: you know incredible things happening for her as well. Yeah, she's um, I, I think she's someone who's at the beginning of her career. We're going to see. Much more great stuff from Lisa in the future mm. as well. so yeah, she
0: also started off as a blogger as well, didn't she Mark, which I mm. think is another good way to kind of build up those calluses and get some practice of interaction with an audience because a lot of people again, in their silos, they don't tell even tell people they're writing a book. I think blogging is is a very overlooked um
1: you know, benefit for people to even a way of doing your 200 words a day in some ways. Yeah. And it's, it's just getting into the habit of writing. That's the thing, getting into a habit of getting words, words down and putting them out there. As you say, that's, you know, we can, we can write our 200 words and no one ever gets to see them. But with blogging, it's out there in the public domain for all to see, which is that scary thing we talked about. But, uh, and you'll get feedback on what works and what doesn't work and you'll learn from that. But it's a good way to, um, and you can control it as well, you know, so if someone does leave a snarky comment, you can just delete that. Yeah. So, uh, Absolutely. You know. No, it's good stuff. It's good stuff.
0: Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing us, uh, sharing with us your adventure. And we really look forward to, uh, to seeing where your incredible career goes. It's just like Mark said, just at the beginning. Um, and Mark, uh, social media this week, we've got, um, I've been seeing quite a few wins on the Academy
1: this week. Um, and, what what's been going on? What have you been seeing at your end? Well, I'm going to be doing a Nano special this week, okay? Because we're recording this on December first, <clears throat> so we've got all kinds of wins from uh, people in the academy, people in uh, on social media, and uh, people in the BXP team. So let's let's do a quick social uh, Nano special because it has been, um, it, it, you know, it is the season to write fifty thousand words. <laughs> so uh, so we got some wins here uh Fadzi Kasambira on the uh best Seller experiment group on Facebook I won NaNoWriMo on November 20th nice one Fadzi wow. uh yay and I'm coming to the end of my book hoping to finish in the next few days edit and send off to a special editor before submitting it to my agent in mid-January uh Fadzi I've read Fadzi's stuff before absolutely view you like Harlan Coburn <laughs> Fadzi is the new Harlan Coburn there's some great stuff there really great twisty turny uh, stuff. uh Gavin Ralph, who writes as GB Ralph, um, and he's confirmed... 24 hours uh, later, because uh, he's been blogging and blogging and blogging, and actually do check out Gavin's blog, uh, he says, I can confirm, still buzzed about winning NaNoWriMo. On the other hand, happy to be dialing back to the more humble 200 words a day target as per the bestseller experiments, 200 word uh, challenge, 532 words so far with another drafting session planned later. Now, Gavin, I'm hoping to get Gavin on for a deep dive because Gavin has done extensive blogging about NaNoWriMo and various strategies and what he did to make that work. Uh, so I'm hoping to get a deep dive with Gavin. Gavin, maybe this side of Christmas might be in the new year, talking about what he did and how he achieved that. So a uh, big congrats, Gavin, and hope to speak to you about that soon. Uh, We've got uh, Gwen W., who is at Gwenulus on Twitter. Uh, NaNoWriMo finished 50,784 words completed in November. Managed to write every day. A huge chunk of my novel project complete, albeit in a very first draft. What a week so far. And uh, 200 words a day, at least, bestseller experiment. So thank you, Gwen, and congrats on winning that. And InkbornBlade on Twitter, six-day streak so far. Uh, oh, this is post-Nano. This is post-Nano. So ink, ink, Inkborn Blade is uh, getting back into it now and starting to enjoy the words I'm getting down. Nothing groundbreaking, but steady progress. And again, looking at the daily word count, she's posted it on Twitter, um, 226, 274, 238, 376, 345. It's all adding up, all fantastic stuff. Uh, and Jan Carr, uh, who's uh, on the Academy, uh, she did NaNoWriMo with less than three hours to go. Uh-huh. Um didn't get around to registering on the site. More admin in it, so she made her own certificate and she's called it Jan's Novel Writing Month. <laughs> she's done a little certificate and everything. Jano rhyme. Oh, brilliant. Do your own. Why not? Why the brilliant.
0: hell not? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And on the academy, we've had some amazing wins. With Denise is going all prep with her pigeon Oh, hunting. brilliant. <laughs> So, Mark, it's time to announce the competition winners of Ooh. the Reality audiobook. Thank you to everyone who joined our mailing list to enter the competition. We're so grateful. And whoever's on this list, we have three winners that we've picked. And whoever's on this list will be receiving uh, an email uh, from one of us directly with uh, how to claim your audiobook online. And... Number 1, we would like to congratulate Lou Gibbons. So Lou, oh, if you're listening, congratulations. We also have Philip Rogers yes. and finally Jessica Kennedy. So congratulations Woo-hoo! Lou, Philip, and Jessica, you're the winners of our audiobook giveaway. And again, thank you to everyone
1: for for uh, for entering and um we hope you enjoy your book. Yeah, you're in for such a treat. Kim Breton is the narrator and she does such a fantastic job. It's such a wonderful... Well, it takes takes our, our jumble of words and elevates it to the next level. Um, fantastic work from Kim and congrats Brilliant. everyone. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. So thank you everyone for joining us this
0: week. We have got some really incredible interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. Don't forget our Christmas special if you would like to... Let us know, come on come to the website, click on the contact us and send us a message. Tell us what your favorite Christmas book was as a kid, or the best Christmas present you ever got. Uh, tell us about the nostalgic things that you loved about Christmas and your reading exploits and uh, listen out as well we 've got i mean we've got so many guests coming in the new year mark, haven't we absolutely brilliant. We do apologize to everyone who's been contacting us to be guests, um, but do keep them coming if you're um you know if you're representing uh you know you've got an exciting story something different something a bit unusual which will inspire our listeners then drop us a note and uh mark if uh, if i can say as much i would like to wish uh you yourselves a very happy uh advent and i hear there's birthday celebrations happening at some point over the month as well so happy birthday to family yes, members and stay household yes. and um and to everyone <laughs> out there listening If you have not started writing the 200 Word Challenge yet, you must start now. Get warmed up for 2022, folks. 200wordchallenge.com. Just go to the website, sign up. It's free. It will change your life and your word count.
1: Definitely. If you want to drop us a line on social media, uh, we're on Facebook at Bestseller Experiment, Twitter and Instagram at Bestseller XP. And please, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've got something from Lisa's wonderful uh, journey to publication and beyond, uh, do leave a, a rating or a review on your podcast uh, depository of choice. Absolutely. And don't forget, folks, 8th of December,
0: 12 o'clock PST. And 8pm UK time. Join the two marks, Mark and I, for a Bestseller Academy webinar. And if you'd like to sign up to the Bestseller Academy, early birds are closing soon, mid-December. After that, you'll just have to take your chances if there's any space left, folks. So do come along and join us. Um, We'd love to meet you, find out what your goals are for 2022, and that's going to be the focus of the webinar. And if you miss the webinar do come along anyway you can register and watch the rerun and get inspired and maybe get some ideas for what your goals might want to be in 2022 so mr state it's a goodbye
1: from mark one and a goodbye from mark two goodbye